0: It's the 30th of September, 2018, and this is episode 377 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, I'm here with Stephanie Murphy. Hi. Jonathan Mohan. Hey, hey. And special guest, Paul Stortz. Hello. For the last couple of years, scaling blockchains up for mainstream or at least early majority users has really been the topic du jour. One of the most interesting initiatives, at least in my view, has been this idea that we could have a single definitive Bitcoin token that can work and be used across a whole network of blockchains with various and oftentimes mutually exclusive characteristics. This is a vision of altcoin innovation and ecosystems occurring within and benefiting directly the Bitcoin ecosystem. On one blockchain intended for games or microcommerce, Bitcoin transactions might be free at the cost of some centralization. Another blockchain might add Turing completeness, enabling Ethereum-like smart contracts in the same way that Ethereum does, but using Bitcoins instead of Ether. In this world, you can move your Bitcoins onto and off of each chain based on your needs and desires. The token keeps track of who owns what Bitcoin, but it's the blockchain you choose to keep your Bitcoin in that determines how your Bitcoin will behave and what you can do with it. Broadly speaking, this idea is described as side chains, and the fact that altcoins already exist says that most of these problems leading to this reality have already been solved. The real sticking point has been: how do you represent and transfer tokens between these side chains or the main chain without endangering or even inconveniencing people who just want to use Bitcoin the way that it's always been? Today, that's why Paul Stortz has joined us, to talk about DriveChain, the solution he and a number of collaborators recently rolled onto Testnet. Paul, once again, thanks for joining us today. Uh, once again, thanks for having me. So did I get that right? You know, is th- is this sort of the, the broad vision of sidechains in general?
1: Yeah, I think you did very well. It's very hard for me to explain this idea of the curse of knowledge that once you know something, you can't relate to the students anymore. Hmm. So it's hard for me to explain. But basically, the problem that you're solving is that you own Bitcoin and then your friend owns Ethereum or something and your friend, a different friend owns Zcash and another friend owns Bitcoin Cash or something. And they have these different features, EOC, 20 tokens, ZK-SNARKs. Transaction fees that will always be low. And you're kind of wondering oh, did I make a mistake when I bought Bitcoin? Or should I, do I, am I obligated to research all of these other projects? You know, that, that seems like a lot of work. And so you'd be thinking, well, you know, software is a very dynamic place, not necessarily money, but software is very dynamic and it, it's changing a lot all the time. And so maybe. Bitcoin was the best software in 2009, but will it always be the best? And am I obligated to research all these projects? And do I have to invest in a little of everything? And so sidechains, the core idea is just that your Bitcoin could just, you could send it to a different piece of software. You could send it to any other piece of software. In fact, this is kind of a universality. Whatever kind of software you want to run, you can send your Bitcoins there and use them with other people. So that's kind of how I try to explain it.
2: How did you first get interested in this when did the idea of side chains come on your radar and what were you doing before that like what's your background
1: the last time i came on your show i was talking about my prediction markets project so it's interesting that i always intended that project to be a side chain and i'm kind of in the side chains world only as a stepping stone out of necessity for that other project which is a project that i actually care about this is just one i don't want to do this the prediction markets project as an altcoin the plan was always to do it as a side chain but various other people over the years i think gave up on working on sidechains. so there was kind of no choice but to do it myself and this is just kind of drive chains. just one thing i'm working on among a bunch of different things but it's the main thing that i'm focused on right now
2: Okay, so it's a means to an end, right? You're really interested in prediction markets, but you realize that the best way you think to implement them would be through the use of sidechains. Again, like, how did you first hear about that idea? Was it something that you always intuitively knew from the time that you found out about Bitcoin? Or did you learn about it through other people's projects? Tell us about that.
1: The precursor to my interest in blockchain prediction markets is just an interest in prediction markets in general. So, I've been interested in prediction markets for a very long time. They have a long history of similar problems to eCash. And so, I just recognized a lot of similarities there. And when intrade.com closed down in 2012, I set out to design a blockchain version. But of course, the blockchain is like wildly complicated and experimental. So, it would be very inappropriate to do any kind of hard fork or even a soft fork of Bitcoin to merge all that stuff in. So the sidechains idea was coming out at around the same time. There was an original sidechains paper by some Blockstream co-founders that was October, 2014. So then I just thought, okay, this would be perfect. I'll work on the prediction markets project. They'll work on the sidechains and then we'll both be finished. And the problem is that I finished around the end of 2015 or, you know, I finished like the first draft, the first release. And no one else had finished their part, so I had to do both parts.
2: Why do you think it took so long for development of side chains that other people were working on?
1: Ah, well, that's an interesting question. My honest answer is that I think there are some kind of what you might call like hangups, for lack of a better word, which is that there are these kind of strange beliefs that have entered the space, entered the culture of Bitcoin development and kind of, I think, prevented certain types of ideas from even occurring to people. So that's kind of a really weird answer, I'm sure. But there are these strange views that have kind of taken hold, and I even give them some names. So one is like minor adversarialism, which is this this idea that mining is a problem that, that really smart developers and smart people need to solve, and that we should get rid of mining, even though Satoshi's main invention is is mining and that before Satoshi there was no mining and there was no e-cash either. So that's kind of weird. I, I give that one a little name. There's another one is, that's in the, the pre stream white paper that I mentioned, this view that if sidechains offer miners fees, you could tempt miners to do some bad thing with these fees, and then that would be the end of the world, and therefore, we can make no progress ever, as long as the miners can earn any any kind of benefit for doing any kind of job. Paying them X to do Y is off-limits. And so once that's off-limits, then basically everything is off-limits, because you have no raw materials to work with.
2: It sounds like maybe those two ideas are related a little bit, right?
1: I think they are. Yeah, I think you're right. They, it's funny. They're kind of opposite. I presented a little bit about this in in Lisbon. They're, they're sort of opposites, but they're also kind of related in that they have a kind of almost tyranny or a kind of paranoia or a kind of parentalism that we need to stop people from running certain software. We need to stop miners from taking certain activities and that if we don't personally get in and, and fix everything, then everything will break. So they're related in a lot of ways. They're very interesting.
2: I take it that you don't agree with those ideas. You can finish your summary of the mental roadblocks, if you will, that you think are holding other people back from developing side chains. But if you disagree with minor adversarialism or this idea that miners are bad and they need to be either gotten rid of or tightly controlled what's your alternative approach? Like incentivizing minors to do the right thing or? Yeah,
1: no, I think that's a great question. And I think you should definitely interrupt because I will just, it's a very long, long list of crackpot theories as to why. I mean, whenever you invent something new, you don't know, like, are you right? And everyone else is wrong. Every other person in the history of humanity, you know, they're wrong and you're right. Or the alternative is just that you are kind of, Self-deluding yourself, and you're you're not really right, and and you're just—it's a bad idea, and everyone else is right. So, whenever you have something new, you have to kind of have some kind of explanation for why everyone else didn't think of it. So, the minor adversarialism. To answer your question, I just I kind of think that anyone who studies, you know, like biology or ecology, or something like economics, even there's this kind of baseline position that we're all in this interdependent web of life and we're all connected to each other and you know we all share one reality and that we all affect each other. The funny thing is that I've noticed that I think there's a different view, which I'm going to call the cryptographer view, which is that you should like be able to have a safe that no one can open without the password, even if you have a computer the size of the sun, working on cracking the safe, or even if everyone in all of the governments of the world, they all try to break your safe open, the entire US army turns and fires on your safe. It's not destroyed. It still works. So the cryptographer view is to treat everything as a kind of attack surface and kind of be very paranoid and try to just say, this is not going to interact with any other thing. It's just going to interact with this few moving pieces as possible, and that is a view that tends to reject this interdependence that we all have and this idea that your transactions, your eCash, would have to like go through other people, would have to go through a bunch of Chinese miners or a bunch of other countries with different jurisdictions and have to like flow all around the world and that they'd be able to choose whether or not to include your transactions in a blocks. It's very different from this cryptographer view. So that's kind of my alternative is just to recognize that the fact that I think most other people... Except by default, which is that there is an interdependence, and that just because we're interdependent doesn't mean that the guy who makes your chicken sandwich for lunch is trying to kill you or, you know, like coerce you for your entire net worth or something. You know, like when you drive on the highway, any one of those cars could just kill you at any moment, but almost everyone stays in their little white lines all the time, even though it's just paint.
2: You're hitting on something that goes really deep. And I think that's interesting because. We can use these mental roadblocks as a springboard to talk about ideas that touch on psychology and philosophy and things like that. So I really like this. Uh, tell me another mental roadblock that you think has held back some people in development of sidechains.
1: Okay. Well, this is funny. Because <laughs> these are definitely like real theories. They're like falsifiable and everything, but they are kind of flaky. So I don't know if they're right or not. And I got a long list in my head. Everyone would have to notice the polarization of the scaling debate, and I think that really the standards of discourse have also collapsed as a result of that debate, and now it's mostly just people repeating things that have been said many times so that pre-selected members of the audience can just applaud or boo at the right time, and I really feel that the debate was progressing until 2016 or so, and then it stalled, and I actually feel it's moving backwards. And, and basically what I'm saying is the is getting even dumber, where when you hear people debate scaling today, it's not only everything you've heard before, but it's kind of like no one can even pretend to be interested in listening to, each other. And it's just uh, kind of a dumb performance. So let me make that more concrete, which is this. See, the polarization has caused discourse standards to fall, in my opinion. And one casualty is that this specific phrase, uh, minor centralization, I believe that this phrase has no definition. And I wrote a blog post about this in January 2017, a long time ago. But if you think There's supposedly a controversy around the relationship between side chains and minor centralization, but I don't believe that there is because I don't think that this phrase has any definition. It's like if you have something like in physics, you have like a photon or temperature those things have definitions and they have the definitions inherently include some kind of measurement where you say, well, when there's more photons, you get more light, it gets brighter, you know, and there's more temperature things move around at the atomic level more they get they get warmer you feel warmth you need different clothes the little thermometer mercury gets bigger you know and so these definitions are like real you could have like a chart that shows it going up and down over time but where's the chart that shows where mining centralization went up and then down and then I think it, to the extent that you would have such a measurement it would just be something like, The percentage of sales that went through Bitmain or the number of mining pools, in which case you should talk about those things. And there's not going to be a relationship between sidechains and the percentage of sales that go through Bitmain or these other things. So it's kind of like talking about voodoo. But the reason that no one cares is because it's become almost like post-truth kind of in a sense where it's just this debate is about the greater good, which is kind of keeping everyone together inside the camp, the polarized political camp. So I think that's another thing that has kind of wrecked everything which is that people don't even care if someone who is like a, a small blocker had an idea for helping roger veer get larger blocks like would they even bring it up at this point that I, I don't even think so they wouldn't want to
2: i'm starting to get a picture of why you struck out on your own with this project
0: <laughs> so paul we talked about how you've just launched this test net that is kind of your version of sidechains. But as we've sort of been discussing, there are actually other attempts at sidechains. And sidechains actually turns out to be a really broad term, right? It's basically being able to use a token on a different blockchain and then potentially move it back to that first blockchain using a one- or two-way peg. But there's actually a lot that goes into that. So can, can you kind of talk about how the current attempts at doing sidechains actually handle that conversion back and forth?
1: This broadening of the definition that you refer to, you're completely right about that. But I regard it as a great intellectual tragedy. I'm highly not in favor. So there was even a satirical like Bitcoin Reddit post about how like my sidechain is a sofa or something that was written by Jorge Stolfi or something. I can't remember that guy's name, but the crazy guy who hates Bitcoin. It's true that Blockstream has released Liquid, which is basically a multi-signature wallet. And they will call that a sidechain. And in my opinion, the only reason they are calling it a sidechain is because their earlier marketing materials used the word sidechain and they just thought if they kept using the same word to refer to the different things that no one would notice, which I regard to be highly shameful and, in fact, kind of ridiculous. (laughs) I just don't even know. But you're right that the definition has broadened to include what I regard as giving up, which is just to put the multi-signature wallet there. And I would hope that anyone who's interested in blockchain technology would know why it's giving up because those signers, how do you know that you can trust them? It's an infinite regress. Uh, So either you trust them because you know what their identities are, in which case, you know exactly where to find them and their families, you know, and murder them or arrest them or whatever. But if you don't know them, then how do you know they're different people? They could all just be one person. And then as soon as the value of the sidechain reaches 70 $80, 90000000 million, then you just have to split it one way, two ways, three ways. I mean, then how do you know when you make a deposit today, how do you know that some dumber people aren't going to deposit $200 million next week, prompting them to steal the entire balance, including yours? So it's just people tried to solve eCash, with signatures for a very long time and failed. And the failure was a direct result of there being these single points of failure that, you know, you look at eCash or Liberty Reserve. And so I don't understand. It just seems very obvious to me that you can't go that route. It's also super, super easy. It's super easy. So it's I kind of take offense to it being presented as any kind of technical breakthrough and it's really it's really almost nothing.
0: Okay, so the system that we're talking about when it comes to Liquid is a sidechain, as it's described, that allows for multiple exchanges to pool their funds together and make it so that there is easy liquidity between these different exchanges. So if Bitfinex and Coinbase want to be able to very easily and cheaply transfer funds back and forth, so when somebody sends Bitcoin from Coinbase to Bitfinex, that they don't actually have to make an on-chain transaction, right? The goal of it then is that you simplify these relationships, but you're saying that that basically is not a side chain so much as it is a multi-signature wallet that they then are keeping track of using an off-chain ledger.
1: I regard it to be a kind of a bait and switch. It's not to say it's not a good idea. It might be a good idea. I mean, when sidechains were introduced, they were promised as this altcoin killer kind of universal blockchain simulator thing. That was what it was before. And I don't know anyone who would dispute that being like the original meaning of the word. It's okay. Like Maybe we have to give up on the word sidechain. I'm open to that at this point because the definition has been, I think, broadened, as you say, to include just about everything. So... This is a service that only really works if you already know who all the participants are going to be. So I'm talking about Liquid now. So they know the exchanges. It's sort of like not much is sacrificed because you know these exchanges exist. They have like a brand name reputation that they had to earn in order to get customers deposits. So they all know each other it's kind of a very different setup from something like if you wanted to have a an ethereum sidechain or something like you wanted to have a, a dogecoin sidechain or something like that like dogecoin is very different from the set of bitcoin exchanges that those two things are they're quite different and the second thing i'd like to point out is that to use liquid you pay blockstream x1000 dollars a month i'm not opposed to that In principle, you know, I think it's great. People can release any software they want and charge whatever the market will bear. But again, I just think, is this really the definition of sidechain that the community wants to endorse? I mean, I just I think it's ridiculous. I don't know how they got away with redefining this word.
3: To go back a few years, Let's Talk Bitcoin. Episode 99 was the first to cover the concept of a sidechain. And if you want to go back and listen, there's a fairly good conversation from Andreas and Adam Back, defining not only the concept, but the philosophical reason for what it should be, why it needs to exist, and why they're doing it. And it was, at least as I saw it, sort of a response to the summer of altcoins. And a lot of the promise that Adam Back gave in what he envisioned sidechains could be ultimately ended up being encapsulated in the whole Ethereum protocol and movement. And some could say that the success of Ethereum is to an extent because of the failure of that vision of sidechains to manifest in any meaningful timeframe now that we're four years later.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm glad that you brought that up. I had forgotten about it. But yeah, that was an excellent episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. And if I'm remembering correctly, Adam Back at one point says that he thinks that sidechains are the most important technology on the table and in, in Bitcoin space and maybe misquoting him there. But actually, I think I remember him saying that in that episode. So I would encourage, I think everyone should go back and listen to that and see what you think the sidechain is. Decide for yourselves.
3: So, Paul, I was really excited about that initial vision that Adam Back proposed for sidechains. And I actually believe that when they were talking about sidechains, they were doing it before they even announced Blockstream, saying that the company that they would build would be to manifest the vision that they were discussing. How much of what DriveChains is manifests sort of that vision from four years ago? And in what ways are is it different?
1: I think it's actually pretty different. It's hard to say just because Blockstream didn't really... Release anything, I mean, not, as far as I could try to figure out, they have in like appendix B or A of their 2014 paper. it's hard to trace the whole ideas and give credit to who you know Luke Jr. didn't really join Blockstream, but he had a thing in December 2013 that was kind of about the bidirectional peg. So it's very confusing to kind of trace all the ideas around, but to the extent that I could figure out what Blockstream was intending to do was that they were going to have this skip list and they were going to have you, when you made withdrawals, you were going to dump all the sidechains headers, many of them being skipped you were going to actually dump these 80-byte headers into the main chain. And I did something very different. Mine is much simpler because it, it focuses on the one failure case completely, which is where the miners steal everyone's money or try to, and it just tries to wall that off. Whereas Blockstream's skip list idea, to the extent that I understand it, was just this sort of a more symmetric kind of general purpose thing. And it was kind of just a list of vague ideas, in my opinion, but there's an elements release. So you could look at that code if you're interested. But yeah, I thought that they had actually overcomplicated it to the detriment of actually addressing the failure case. So that's why I wrote this post in November 2015 about how you could do it simpler. And even the title was Drive Chain, a simple 2 APEG. peg. And so I think mine also does something that I call flipping the work, which is pretty complicated to explain. I have like a giant four hour YouTube presentation on it really, responding to one comment from uh, Greg Maxwell a long time ago, I think in November, 2015. And the long story short is that I'm kind of assuming I have a very high emphasis on there only being one set of miners. What I'm trying to avoid is a situation where someone spins up a Dogecoin side chain and it has its own, miners, that side chain will have no block reward. It won't be able to mint 12.5 Bitcoins every 10 minutes, no matter how many transactions the block has. So it will rely entirely on transaction fees. And if those fees fall, then there'll be no revenue and there'll be no reason to mine a block. And in my opinion, that could happen for any number of reasons, including just panic and self-fulfilling prophecies that people think that side chain will die. So they just won't use it and then there'll be no fees and then there'll be no mining and then the site chain will be dead.
0: EasyDNS DNS is a domain name provider and registrar that shares our values flexibility free speech and control without lock-in. EasyDNS DNS helps you meet your individual needs as the swiss army knife for domain names since 1998. Outspoken defenders of privacy due process and great service the folks at EasyDNS are long-term, enthusiastic supporters of the Bitcoin movement, as well as this program. Please support our sponsor, and head over to EasyDNS.com, where you can handle all your domain needs and pay with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, or Ethereum. So when you're thinking about domains or hosting, think EasyDNS.com. These days, you can get practically everything on demand. Did you know you can get postage on demand? All you need is Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right from your desk. Buy and print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package, all available 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale, empowering you to weigh letters and packages, then print the exact amount of postage every time. So when you ship mail, packages, or whatever, thinkstamps.com. And as a special bonus, use the code TalkBitcoin, that's T-A-L-K-B-I-T-C-O-I-N with no spaces to start your four-week trial, including postage and a digital scale. To enter your code, go to stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage to enter your code TalkBitcoin. Thanks for listening. Let's rejoin the conversation now. Okay, so let's back up a second, Paul. I think the relevant conversation to have at this particular moment is what is the hard problem in sidechains, basically? Where is the trouble where you've spent your development time?
1: Yeah, uh, well, the theoretical problem is money coming back because it's easy to just set up, force the sidechain to just kind of be aware of Bitcoin core and say every sidechain node is a Bitcoin core node also... And so then you always know when someone wants to send money from regular Bitcoin to the sidechain.
0: So sidechains always know what's going on with Bitcoin because they are dependent on Bitcoin for that kind of truth. You
1: can easily define them that way. Yeah. You get a lot of stuff very easy off the bat. Merge mining is a very old idea. You have different variations of it, but they're not important. The point is that you get all of Bitcoin's hash rate for free or for very, very, very nearly free. And to the extent that it doesn't matter. So almost everything is easy. The, the, the challenge is that someone on the side chain says these four Bitcoins are mine on the side chain, and I want them back on the main chain. But then a different person shows up and says, no, that's not true. Those four Bitcoin on the side chain, those are mine. So you have person A and person B, they both claim the same four Bitcoin on the side chains. And how does the main chain arbitrate this dispute when it's by definition not allowed to run the sidechain node, because then that would be that would be cheating. You'd see that would just be we would just have hard fork to the sidechain into Bitcoin.
0: So any sidechain, because it is relying on Bitcoin for some of these things, necessarily is paying attention to Bitcoin. It's actually running its own Bitcoin node alongside the sidechain node. In my scheme,
1: yes. That's specific to drive chain.
0: Okay. But but in principle, we're talking about because sidechains rely on the main blockchain, that be that Bitcoin or something else.
1: I think it has to be this way. But I want to point out that it hasn't always been done that way. And I don't think that Blockstream does it that way, actually, in their 2014 paper. I'm just saying there's, there's these different options.
0: So we can basically assume that a sidechain that's created that uses Bitcoin as its type of token that is going to be used on the sidechain, it always knows what's going on with Bitcoin. But there might be 10,000 different sidechains, and we can't assume and wouldn't want the people who are just running bitcoin as bitcoin to have to pay attention to every single sidechain in order to know what the balance of bitcoin was right like that doesn't make any sense
1: exactly right cuz someone could add the evil sidechain as a terabyte blocks and requires a million cpu cycles or something And then everyone would have to do it.
0: So sidechains could actually be used in that way to attack the main blockchain if the main blockchain necessarily had to pay attention to the sidechains, which would mean that in order to launch a sidechain, there would have to be all these controls because it would really matter what happens on a sidechain to the main chain. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So we've got the kind of altcoins, they exist, and that sort of thing happens. We know how to get tokens from Bitcoin onto a sidechain, but it's the going back from the sidechain back to Bitcoin, because Bitcoin doesn't know what's happening on the sidechain. How do you solve that problem?
1: So the solution involves speed. So we just make it very, very slow and very infrequent. Basically, the catch is that the money can go anywhere it wants, but it's just going to go that way very very slowly and in a way that it's very very easy for anyone to check that the two networks are still synchronized with each other
0: i watched a video yesterday of in the bay area there have recently been like 10 smash and grab robberies at apple stores and the way that these robberies occur is that the apple store is open there are security guards in there but they know that you know they have a relatively hands-off policy like 10 people run into the store wearing black hoodies and masks. Unplug all of the demo units and then run out the door and jump into another car and drive away really quickly. Is that kind of analogous to the problem here?
1: Yes, I think that's great. That's wonderful.
0: Okay. So then if we were able to take that type of situation, but everybody knew that if they robbed the store, the doors only open once every hour, then suddenly it would be a lot less attractive to rob that store because you know that you actually have to sit there for an hour, and chances are pretty good they're gonna catch you, whereas if you could just run out the door immediately, then you could get away with it.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So in this case, the doors aren't even opening, they're opening like once every three months or so, and if three to six months.
0: Okay, so the doors open once every three months, so in this type of situation, what you're relying on it seems like is the assumption that if people know that they're not going to get away with it, that it's almost not worth committing the crime because there will be repercussions for them committing the crime, even if they don't get away with it.
1: It's true that I do assume that. But I think we've actually there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if the problem is severe enough, like if any a critical mass of people do care, then actually there will be some kind of response in the form of, would you want to say like outside the protocol response? So the recent bug is a good example of this. There have been many bugs. The user activated soft fork to activate SegWit is another example of this. So it's been demonstrated that over at a certain scale, people will be able to move outside of what the, the software code kind of dogmatically is stating and, and do what's in their own obvious best interest.
0: Okay. So let's, let's break that down for a second. I think it's time to back up a little bit and talk about drive chain, which is the actual solution, the name of the solution that is your solution to this problem. And so what drive chain does in basic sense is that it means that if I, as a user, have tokens on a side chain and I want to pull them out of that side chain, then I essentially submit a request and there's three months of time for any issues that exist with my request to come up. So kind of talk about that. How does drive chain solve this problem? Just explain it in basic terms to the best of your ability.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. But I really liked your Apple Store idea. I mean, it's kind of like if all the merchandise leaving the store were all put on one ship and the ship had to sail around the ocean for three to six months before it reached the customers. And so if there was any erroneous log or something, it would be very easy to identify. I mean, the sidechain would, of course, know immediately. All, everyone running a sidechain full node, they would obviously know instantly. And then the sidechain withdrawals are defined by just one hash that's like 32 bytes that anyone with, you know basic human attention span can can either look at, you know, with their eyes or whatever, you know, it's like very easy. It's not like saying, oh, we should do user activated software to activate SegWit or there's some vague bug in Bitcoin. So everyone needs to upgrade really quickly. Or even the case of the billion overflow Bitcoins that were created like seven or eight years ago or whenever that was. So there are all these cases when people will do something about it. But this is supposed to compress all that to make it super, super easy, and you have a very, very long time to respond. So you can propose different versions of these withdrawals, but one of them is going to be the one that is promoted, and it's going to take a a long time for those doors to open. And this usually leads people immediately to ask, like, won't that be useless because three months is too long? But there is an, an assumption that there will be a new type of Person, a kind of specialization of labor. This would be like an investment banker type person, or they may even be the miners themselves. I don't know. This person will kind of buy up the receipts for like 99 cents on the dollar, 99.9 cents. So you can get your main chain Bitcoin immediately using some kind of like shapeshift type thing would be a good way of explaining
0: it that most people would understand. Okay, so let's just go through kind of a withdrawal process here. So I uh, go into Apple, I buy something but there's a delay that's three months for me to actually walk out the door with it. I can personally walk out the door today, but the stuff that I bought has to sit there until three months because of this concern so that nobody comes in and robs the store. So I'm a user at the Apple Store. I buy something from the Apple Store. I go to take it home, but because we're preventing these sorts of thefts, there's only uh, the ability for everyone who bought something over the course of the last three months, it all gets shipped out at the same time. And it gets shipped out after that three-month delay. And if there's any problem with anything in the shipment, then all of it holds until, that, until it's all fixed. As a user, that works for me kind of because I guess I want the stuff in three months. But as you said, that's a kind of big problem that makes this not that useful. But what would solve that issue is if there was another type of person who basically is standing outside the Apple store Who already bought the same thing that I want to buy three months ago and already sat through that waiting period. And so what I could do is I give them the receipt for the thing that I purchased that won't be available for three months. And then they give me a slightly, you know, 99.9% of the thing that I bought on the outside. Maybe they charge me, you know, a dollar or something like that for kind of the convenience. And then their whole business model is that they pay attention and make sure that nothing goes wrong with that delivery that's coming in three months. And that at that point, then they replenish their stocks, and they have profited from this, assuming everything goes well. Because I paid slightly more to them to get it without the three-month delay than I would have if I had to wait for the three months. It's still wildly convenient for me, but that is sort of the business model of the person standing outside the Apple store.
1: Exactly, it's like some guy who has two hundred iPhones and he doesn't need them, but he okay. If you you'll buy him a beer, he'll let you take one in exchange for the receipt so he doesn't mind coming back three months and re-adding that to his stock.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. So the security measure creates an inconvenience for the user, but then this other type of user actually makes money by solving that inconvenience. And there's very little risk in that, right? Because the receipt is good for a phone. We know it's good for a phone. It's just a question of whether or not it's good for a phone that you have today versus a phone that you'll have in three months. And then again, the person who lives near the store has a much easier time going back to make sure that everything is good and that the order is going to ship appropriately and stuff like that. We're obviously, you know, completely murdering this uh, this analogy at this point. I think it's pretty good, actually.
1: Well, that's the business models. The longer the delay is, the more likely the receipt will be accurate. And since there are people who will be more patient, possibly just because they're wealthier and they just own a lot of Bitcoin on all chains or the main chain only, then this delay is just making things more accurate, but it's not really making things globally more inconvenient. That's why you send it straight to the roof and you make it very long, three to six months.
0: Okay, so again, the three to six months is not really something that the end user is going to feel in a mature system. It's just something that's there in order to make the system work and to build in that time to make it very, very difficult, if not impossible, to actually steal from the system. So I think we've got the idea here of how this works in a kind of practical sense, you know, not on the blockchain. On the blockchain, I understand there are a little more in terms of technical detail that we've glossed over. I still wanna stay light on this because this is kind of a heavy topic, but are there any differences that are important relative to the example we've been giving here that apply to the blockchain but wouldn't apply in that situation?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good analogy, actually. I think all the quibbles would just make it more confusing for people than helpful. Obviously, you can't have like Ninety nine point nine percent of a new iPad or something. <laughs> that would be the main difference.
0: Right. Now, look, cryptocurrency is thankfully more divisible than than iPhones are. But yeah. But other than that. OK, so then if that's the case, where are you with the technology now? I know that the test net just launched. What does that mean? What can people do with it at this point?
1: Well, yes, we launched our test net and that's been really great because just the act of trying to do that, will really get you kind of to polish everything up and fix all those. It's uh, basically it's out and you can, this is a separate test network. So you can mine these test net coins or receive them from, you can message me on Telegram. We have a, a Telegram group and we'll put the link. We'll give you guys the link. And you can get coins from us or mine them yourself. And then you can send them to a sidechain that we made, which is we call sidechain1. And then you can send them back. And just when you try to do that, who knows what you know errors you might experience if you try to send zero at the same time as someone else or what kind of bugs you may find. So we're just going to be deleting those bugs. That's going to be where our focus is at. But yeah, all that stuff that I described about the delay the transfers between different pieces of software and the merge mining, all that stuff is working to, you know, a first approximation. And of course we did not make it three months for the testing environment. We only made it like a day. So
0: so when did you launch the testnet? Where can people go to find out more information? And what types of users are you looking for at this point? Is this something where you really you're looking for developers? Or are you looking for kind of normal people or people who run full nodes? You know, what's the description of the person who you're interested in actually using this testnet at this point?
1: That's an excellent question. I think a lot of different people could use it. Obviously, if you are a developer and you like writing software and you like to try to break software and debug software, then obviously that's super ideal person. So that would be really great if you would go to drivechain.info is kind of the main project site and the release is in a blog post there, or you can find me on Twitter. I'm going to give links to you guys and I'm going to have these links up You'll be able to find the project and you'll be able to find the telegram group where we're all hanging out. I kind of think another person, if you're very confused about sidechains and you just have no idea what's going on, I think it may be helpful if you tried to follow the guide and then you just see this is what this idea is and it's not anything more or less than this. Because I think a lot of people are just ho- hopelessly confused. And I was—I didn't understand Bitcoin at all until I installed it and got coins from the Gavin's faucet. And then even then, you know, obviously I didn't have a great understanding of it. But I think a lot of people are just totally baffled by you give them the word sidechain and they have no idea what, what that is, partially because of that definition broadening you said
2: sometimes playing with it is the best way to kind of figure it out. Like, you know, some people are kinesthetic learners where they need hands-on experience. Paul, I just want to ask you kind of a bigger picture question. Do you see like the point of side chains as basically like to kill off all the altcoins or to get rid of the altcoins?
1: That's a, a really good question, but well, that's kind of what I said at the beginning kind of, isn't it? Is, is that you have these, these friends who have different coins and you're just kind of like, Oh, I want my, Going to be able to do that or I don't know what will be invented in the future and I want Bitcoin to be kind of future proof to all those inventions and the unpredictable world of where things are invented but I kind of don't see them as having a future that's not the same as saying that digital assets don't have a future I think I, the idea of uh, tokens that represent equity or that are just collectors you know kind of the spells of Genesis or counterparty Assets, So there's like these little trading cards and things. So I think the collectibles and the the equity, I think those have a future. But I think the altcoins themselves and the alt kind of crypto system blockchains, I kind of think they are doomed.
2: So it sounds like you're saying you look at sidechains as a way to keep these coins relevant, not necessarily to compete with them or, or hasten their death.
1: Well, I kind of. I kind of do want to hasten their death i think (laughs) because i think that would be i just it's not that i it's not that i have any malice it's i really just because i think it would be things would be more organized that way and i think that when people show up they kind of think that we don't have our act together in the broader crypto coin community they don't know like oh should i buy this or that and that they get advice from their their uber driver or something and about which altcoin to buy and the I don't know if that is uh, good for anyone, I think. uh, But also there's a problem, I think, where people want to write cool software and they feel that the only way for them to do that is to also be like have an altcoin shill operation and, you know, start up all this forums and do all this marketing. And when really they just want to do is some cool project involving something real. Like I think prediction markets is real, but I also think, payments. Uh, I think identity is real. I think digital assets are real. And I think advanced privacy features are real. And I think if people just want to work on those without interacting with all of the disreputable activity that takes place in this community.
0: So, Paul, you're a Bitcoin guy. I think that that's safe to say, right? Like as far as like the blockchains go and as far as different types of tokens, mostly you're a Bitcoin guy.
1: Yes. But for many completely unrelated reasons (laughs) so that's they're kind of totally orthogonal
0: fair enough so just in an abstract sense the work that you're doing with drive chains and the work that's done on side chains generally it actually could be applied to pretty much anything else that's based on bitcoin with some modification right so you solving this problem for bitcoin is effectively creating the opportunity for altcoins to do this too that's right
1: and of course if anyone just understands the design principles they could even rewrite it in completely different things. Like Apple actually could do that with a physical store, of course, you know, to take that to a ridiculous extreme, they could decide that that would be the best way to make sure that no one steals any merchandise.
0: The other question that I had, and one thing we've neglected to talk about during this, one of the things that's really different between a side chain altcoin, if we're gonna call it that, and a traditional altcoin, is that a traditional altcoin controls its own token supply. Whereas a sidechain doesn't necessarily do that. Well, the question that I have for you specifically, because it's using Bitcoin, the question I have for you specifically is, can these sidechains that use Bitcoin still have their own token for other things?
1: Yes, they could easily do that. And the token could be a pointless collectible or just a collectible that, you know, has numismatic value. You know, just people just enjoy owning it like the same way you enjoy owning a family photo or but album or something like that. But uh, there could also be a token that has some some purpose. uh, that has some secondary purpose that is not money. So
0: it represents some kind of reputation or some other thing, some ownership in a corporation like equity. Or if something like counterparty was put in as a side chain, then what you would have, I believe, is compatibility with the Bitcoin blockchain in a in a better way than something not built on Bitcoin would have without the costs of using Bitcoin on that chain. And you could still have a token that, for example, does what the XCP token currently does, which makes it possible to create assets, which is something that Bitcoin by itself doesn't do. It competes with things that compete directly with Bitcoin. But for everything else, it actually seems like it's a meaningful optimization.
1: I That's exactly, I think that's right. Uh, the vision for Counterparty would probably be something like you deposit Bitcoin to Counterparty sidechain and then over there, you're using Bitcoin to pay the network transaction fees, which are would be much lower because it's very different. But over there, you're creating other tradable assets. But whenever you move them around or create them or something, you're, you're using Bitcoin as the to pay the miner transaction fees. And so then those miners could earn that Bitcoin over there and then walk them back over to the main chain Bitcoin.
0: Interesting. Okay, great. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this. I think that this has been a pretty good kind of high-level overview of where you are. And for anyone interested in participating with this project, which I believe is open-source and unfunded?
1: This is a completely open-source project. There's no, like, obligations to any other organization or anything as a result of developing it.
0: We started this conversation talking about your ambitions for prediction markets, right? How your interest here really isn't in sidechains or drive chain mechanisms at all. That's a means to an end for this prediction market type of sidechain that you're interested in creating. How far out do you think you are from actually creating that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think we're going to try to do that almost immediately. So we have sidechain one, which is like a blank sidechain, and we're going to try to get a large block sidechain on there, but then I'm gonna to try to staple my my project, which is now at, it used to be called Truthcoin, which is the Twitter handle, but now it's called Bitcoin Hivemind. And it's sort of finished because as I mentioned in, I was working on it in 2015, while I was hoping that other people were working on a sidechain software that would support it. so it's kind of almost finished. And I think it would be nice since we're in a big testnet mood, it would be nice to try and just it on there as the the third side chain. So that would be for testing purposes. And I get the ball rolling on that. Please visit my website, bitcoinhivemind.com, which kind of describes why I think that project is
0: important and why I'm working on it with my time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Today's show is sponsored by EZDNS.com and Stamps.com content for today's show was provided by stephanie murphy jonathan mohan paul sorts and adam b levine this episode was edited by matthew zipkin and adam levine with music by jared rubens and general fuzz any questions or comments email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com we'll see you next time